Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This wonderful Thursday morning is really great in the D.C. area. The weather is fantastic. It's great to be up. And we have on our program today Mr. Cornelius Blanding, the Executive Director of the Federation of Southern Co-ops. Good morning, Cornelius. Good morning. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. You know, I just want to start off by thanking you guys. I went down to your annual meeting, and your hospitality is just wonderful in the South. And I just thank you. met a lot of great people. Well, well, and Vernon, we really enjoyed you down there, and uh, we hope that, that you're saying this because of that goat, rabbit, and the duck and all that other wildlife that you ate. I didn't eat it, baby, I got to tell you. I didn't eat it. <laughs> the last time I ate some wild stuff, I got real sick. So, no, I stayed with the seafood. I stayed with the fish, and it was wonderful. And, and uh, matter of fact, on Thursday night, what, what I got excited about was your, um, what was that, grits? Yeah, uh, shrimp and grits. Shrimp and grits. Oh, man, you can smack your mama over that one, baby, or anybody and, else in your way. <laughs> well, you know, what What we don't do a good enough job is, is actually promoting those shrimp. Those shrimp, and most people don't know, we did it. The, we've been doing that for years. But in the first year, we did a good job of promoting and let, letting folks know where the shrimp actually came from. Uh, there's a local farmer in Alabama who's a part of our network, who's a part of the Federation, our membership, uh, who, has inland, who has an inland pond, an inland salt, a saltwater pond, inland in Alabama in an area where there's a saltwater aquifer that's that's uh, so many that's almost near the surface because that area of Alabama was once the ocean thousand years ago was part of the ocean and you can dig so deep and you can dig down so deep and actually get salt water and there's ponds that he's dug and he's doing Auburn University and some other universities have been studying his water because it's the closest thing you can get to seawater and he's doing shrimp. They're a local, a local black farmer. And so we have those shrimp there every year. And so the people, the, the shrimp and the grits are great, but knowing the story is even better. Well, that might be why it tastes so good because it was fresh. Fresh, fresh organic, shrimp. Uh, grown shrimp that's grown right in, in Alabama inland. And that's the amazing part of it. Well, don't tell anybody. I went back three times, but don't 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 talk about it. <laughs> hey, it was probably a lot of other folks who, who, who passed by on their third trip back as well. <laughs> No, it was really wonderful, the, the people there, the excitement, uh, seeing everyday people on their farms. And I talked to a couple. Matter of fact, a couple of ladies came up to me and said that you know, like one lady had six acres, another one had 12 acres, and they wanted to figure out what they can do with it uh, besides farming. Some of them were looking at putting senior housing and, and different kinds of things. So the, the energy and the excitement, and it, some of the people were – older, but they're looking for new ideas and, and creativity. And that was what was so great about being around folks like, and black folks. That was nice. Yeah. And, and you know, and that's the area where that, where that comes alive. You know, one of the main things what, uh, what we promote there is really when you bring people together, people having a chance to talk with each other uh, about ideas, about things that have, have worked, things that haven't worked, 
And so that's been one of the um, one of the actual successes we think of our annual meeting. You know, our membership having a chance to come together, and there's folks from all over the South who don't get to get a chance to see each other, talk with each other regularly. And so facilitating that process is actually one of the roles of the Federation. But what states are represented there? How many? Uh, so, so as an organization, we're licensed to work all over the South, from Virginia all the way across to Texas, uh, something like 16 states. But we focus on the Deep South, and our membership actually comes from, from a broad array of states. Uh, you have people there who are from Virginia all the way to Texas, uh, but the primary states that were represented there were Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, South Carolina, Louisiana, Florida, and Texas. And there was some folks, well, of course, Arkansas. There was a folks from Arkansas that was there as well. Uh, but, but I would say there were probably a good 10 to 11 states from the South represented there. Well, you just named eight or nine with Virginia. Uh, t- Tennessee. I know some folks from, t- from North Carolina. I didn't mention North Carolina. No. They brought a bus in. I think there were some folks from Tennessee there. Well, that's I, go, if I go back, I can probably name you a few, few, few more. But, uh, yeah, so that, that was a good 10 11 states represented. And we had, and I don't know if you noticed, the buses that were out there. I did. There were buses that came in from that we know. There was a bus from Kentucky that had a busload of people. There was a bus from Georgia. There was a bus from South Carolina, North Carolina. There was a van from from Texas. And uh, and many other folks just kind of got, got there on their own. But the further out folks came with buses, but there were five or six buses. Man, there was a lot of, there was a gentleman there from Texas who went to Kentucky State, his family, and I went one semester at Kentucky State. And uh, so we just had a great conversation. He was telling me about how black farmers, when the oil pipes, the natural oil pipes went through their land, they were supposed to get money and they didn't. And how his family has been distributing natural gas. I think his grandfather started the business. Uh, It was the early 1900s. Just fascinating stories. and that, then there was a gentleman there, and, and I didn't get his name and number. And if, if you know who it is, I'd really like to get back in touch with him. There was another gentleman there who used to live in D.C., and they are doing, and I was surprised at this, they are doing urban farming in, in mm-hmm. Birmingham, but I met him in Epps in, in the country, and I was surprised that I would find about urban farming uh, down in, in the south. But he was looking at different ways of doing, uh, getting people to, grow vegetables in their backyards, front yards, I, I assume similar to um, our first lady. Yes, yes. That's a big initiative now, thanks to the first lady who's pushed this hard. But a lot of urban farming, urban agriculture has been going on for years. Uh, but again, because of the first lady, is getting the attention that it rightfully deserves. But we in the Federation, we are a rural organization and we work all over the South. But we realized a long, many years ago, probably 35, 40 years ago, the importance of that urban and rural connection. When I came onto the Federation of oh shit about, and I was, I always been saying 17 years, but I actually got a chance to go through my employee file yesterday and saw that it's been 18 years. Okay. Like, wow, I'm starting to miss years now. But when I came onto the organization, one of the things that I was engaged in that I was responsible for was connecting with our rural to urban marketing program and expanding that as well as our international marketing efforts. And so uh, our urban agriculture focus and desire was happening even then. Again, I mentioned 30-plus years ago, uh, we started something called the Rural to Urban Marketing uh, Initiative, where we realized the importance of those urban communities because if nothing else, what people have realized in terms of black land ownership, in terms of black communities, there was a great migration. Folks left from the South going to specific areas in the North, and we can trace that, and we trace that, and we, we are 
replicated our marketing efforts based on that. So as an example, you know, people from Alabama, and I just mean in a, in a mad sense. Again, there's some exceptions to every rule. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, people from Alabama went to Detroit. People from Mississippi went to Chicago. People from South Carolina went to New York. So forth and so on. You know, so, so many of these cities, when you get there and you start going into these black communities, and we found Chicago as an example. I, I, was, I had the opportunity to go up with some of our farmers and co-ops 15 years ago to Chicago as one of our urban marketing programs where they would go up and market watermelon and collard greens. And they would go up, and the folks who came, they were talking about, oh, food from home, food from down south. And they started having conversations about families. And every time, nine times out of ten, they knew each other's families. Oh, my God. Back. Okay. And what happened to that program? Because that's the kind of program I would like to get started. Matter of fact, one of the guys there, Ricky is his name, he was telling me he would like to be able to sell to housing co-ops his watermelons. And, and so I was thinking, how do we get this started? Is it still going on, uh, Cornelius, this rural to urban marketing? And if not, how can we get that started back yeah. up? Yeah, so, so at the time I mentioned to you, it was, it was very organized and it was very intentional. We still do it, and we were doing it as an organization, and I mean as an organization, as a federation, all of our states, all of our co-ops working together, those that were interested. Uh, now it is still going on, but it's just through our specific some state efforts and many of our cooperative efforts where some of the co-ops who have been doing it over those years still do it, particularly Mississippi to Chicago. But as, uh, as of March 1, as becoming the executive director, one of my focuses uh, is, is that really going back into that because, again, that was a personal passion, a personal mission of mine. And so those are some of the things that I, that I knew worked well as an organization that isn't new. It's something that we've been doing as an organization. And so those kind of things that I'm looking at going back and saying, look, let's go back and get some of these things that we were founded on back in 1967 that worked for us over many years and that we may have gotten away from here and there for various reasons because of the many challenges of the organization. But we continue to hold on and do those things, just not in a, in a very organized way. And we're going back, picking that up, and continuing to do that. One of the things that we had uh, that we established about 10 years ago was something that we call SOCO, and it stood for Southern Cooperatives. And all it was was so a cooperative. Say, what's the name of it again? SOCO, S-O-C-O. Okay. And it stood for Southern Cooperatives. And all it was was a piece of the organization. It was just a cooperative within a cooperative. We developed the internal structure within the federation that all that was responsible for the production, the distribution and marketing of crops from the cooperative members. Uh, so just a kind of in, intentional structure within the structure, if you will, mm-hmm. that we call SOCO. And we started out with watermelon, seedless watermelon. And we were marketing seedless watermelon from Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, and South Carolina as a starting point. One crop from four states, a few different co-ops in each one of those states. And we were sending them directly to Boston, to the metro Boston area. People like Whole Food, Bread and Circus, Harry Teeters, uh, a few other mar- uh, markets. And we were working in collaboration with Equal Exchange and an organization called Red Tomato. Uh, Red Tomato was handling a lot of marketing on that end. Equal Exchange was a distribution point where we brought it into Equal, Equal Exchange's facility uh, from the trucks coming from south, unloaded them, and sent them out to those various markets right there in Boston. Uh, it worked very well. We did it for a couple. Of, we did it for a few seasons actually. Uh, but again, based on the complexity of the organization and some competing demands, things unfortunately got pulled away, and, and we started doing it individually, but not just as coordinated. But again, we're getting back to those kind of things. 
I would love to, but, but there's so I would love, I can say, I'd love to work on that with you, but you're doing so many great things. And you talked about 1967 is when you got started. Uh, I graduated from high school in 1965, and I'm going back to my 50th year anniversary. I'm seeing you're coming close to that, too, if you got started in 1967 out of the civil rights movement. And when you were on a program once before, you said that you had to get started because when people set up to vote and they started getting people to vote, then the whites would not sell the black farmers gas. And so you had to get together and, and pull together so you could go and form a co-op to get gas and, and other kinds of things. I want to talk to you. when we got to take a break, Cornelius. And so I want to come back and talk to you about what your mission is. You're, you're saying one of the things you want to do is start this Soho back up and this uh, rural to urban marketing. But I want to come back and talk to you about what are the things that you want to do this coming year and how we might be able to help you here in this urban area of Washington, D.C. or Boston or New York or Chicago. So we'll take this break and, and then we'll be right back. If anybody want to call in, please call in at 1-800-450-7876. If you have a question, comment, or if you want to get some watermelon and collard greens from the South, call on in. 1450 W.O.L. Glory. You have a lot of glory to talk about, my brother. Congratulations on becoming the executive director of a 48-year-old Federation of Southern Cooperatives. You have a lot on your shoulders, and I wanted you on the program. Matter of fact, you know, I've... I've, uh, decided that September is going to be Federation of Southern Cooperatives Month, and we're going to try to get people on to talk about it. We've uh, reached out to Andrew Young to see if we can get him in. He was there uh, at the annual meeting, and one of the things that he said for everybody that wasn't there was the South is a great place to live. <laughs> a great hey, place. Hey, hey, in spite of all of his challenges, all of his problems, it is. And, you know, I used to start some of my, my speeches off and have, when I was invited to places to talk. And they were looking for experts on the South, and I by no means am that. But I would always make sure people knew that I was born in the South, I was raised in the South, I was educated in the South, I live and work in the South, and if I could have it my way, nine times out of ten, I'm going to die in the South. And so in spite of all of his challenges, it's a beautiful place to be. Yeah, Andy Young, he really laid it out very, very nicely. Uh, I got a picture with him, and he's a real hero of mine. He's, he's done really, really, really great, great, great things. So I've asked him on and quite a few other people, which we'll talk about. But what are you trying to get accomplished? What is your strategic plan? What do you, what do you want to do, and how can we help you? Okay. Well, uh, thanks for asking that question, Vernon. Before I say that, let me, let me at least go back to your congratulatory remarks, and let me say thank you. And, and you know, you were, you would, I think you, you were there on Saturday. I'm not sure if you got a chance to hear my my uh, presentation or my remarks to the membership. Well, let me, let me say this for you, for everybody. You can go on the Federation of Southern Cooperatives webpage, federation.coop, and I listened to it there. I missed it in the morning. But federation.coop, and I listened to your uh, video, your speech on, on, on your webpage. And so I hope people get a chance to go listen. But what I want, what I, what I wanted folks to take out of it, especially our membership, was that one I do as a, as a new executive director of the organization, I realize that this is a huge challenge. It's a great responsibility, and I, I'm, I'm honored and, and I'm humbled by the opportunity to serve this kind of organization. And as you mentioned, it is a it's a it's a big challenge, and you got to have 
big shoulders to take this on. And I realized that my shoulders is, is by far big enough to carry on this responsibility that's been passed down for over 48 years. Amen, bro. So, so this is about us working cooperatively together, so I appreciate your offer for partnership. Uh, we appreciate the, partnership that, the partnerships that we've had in the past from the beginning all the way up to now. Uh, and I know I realize how important they are, that this is about us carrying on the mission of this organization, because this organization by no means is about me or any other individual. It's about a lot of folks who came together prior to the 60s all the way up into the 60s during the civil rights movement in which this organization was born out of. But all throughout those decades, in terms of all the people, all the organizations, all the partnerships and collaboration that it took to sustain an organization like this, and it's going to continue to take that. I am only the face of this organization by the grace of God and by the membership who, who, and the board who elected me to do this and by people like Ralph Page who mentored me throughout the years, this organization, and I'm thankful for him. And the, the first executive director, Charles Prejean, who carried the organization until Ralph came along and carried it for 30 more years as, a, as an executive director. And so I hope that I'm, that I'm privileged enough to have the opportunity to serve for half the time that Ralph and others served his organization. Uh, but I do realize it takes a lot of people to hold his organization up and to carry it forward. And my goal is to make sure that we bring those partnerships to the table and that we all walk in one direction. And speaking on that direction, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I want you to be there twice as long, okay? Okay. Don't, don't <laughs> well, cut yourself short. So. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, you know, in terms of the direction of this organization and the vision, it's nothing different than what was talked about in 1967 when the organization was founded. Um, our, our focus then and still remains three critical areas, and I just want to focus on those areas and cut out a lot of the noise, if you will. Uh, but those areas of focus are cooperative economic development, land retention, and advocacy. And I've said that on your show before, and I, and I say it again, I say it now, and I say it the next time I'm on the show if I'm lucky. Uh, but cooperative economic development, land retention, and advocacy. And in those particular areas, there are some specific things that we want to do just to kind of uh, put some meat on this bone. Uh, you mentioned in terms of cooperative, econo cooperative economic development, you mentioned SOCO, and SOCO is one of those things in terms of developing this, this regional marketing system, redeveloping, reestablishing it bringing it back to the forefront. Again, we've been doing it as an organization for years. Uh, a lot of people just don't know about it. And, again, sometimes our efforts are more more in, in times than, than in other times because of, again, the many challenges that an organization like this faces. Uh, but getting back to that, SoCo, uh, getting back to the, uh, focusing on the housing efforts that we've had, when you were at the training center, and I mentioned to you less than two miles away, probably a mile away, is one of our housing developments in an area called Gainesville, uh, the Windy Hill subdivision, which is a housing which we uh, housing that's in partnership with Rural Development, HUD, and other folks. Uh, well, we initially started out trying to do cooperative housing, but weren't able to do it for various reasons uh, within rural development at that time. But we're trying to go back to that in terms of what was the original intention of that housing. It's cooperative housing by the nature of its ownership, owned by the Federation and organizations within the Federation. But we want to also make sure that those tenants who in, occupy those housing occupy from a cooperative uh, ownership level. And so those are the kind of things we're looking at, SOCO, housing, refocusing on our credit union efforts because many of our community development credit unions have been merged by others and have lost that grassroots feel, have lost that ownership and that management and control by the community because of the mergers. So we want to make sure that we focus on those credit unions, those community development credit unions that we have, 
give them the services that they need so they can maintain and withstand and continue to be in those communities. And the ones who have merged, how do we work with the new merger, the new credit union, whatever it is, to make sure that our communities are still serviced? So those are some of the efforts around cooperative economic development we plan to look at over the, the uh, this year and the coming years. In terms of land wait, 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 let, me, let me talk a little bit about those. Um, was there any way of on your credit unions to have, um, like, credit unions in your communities all band together together so that they wouldn't have to merge with a credit union outside of the Federation of Southern Co-ops? The, 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 the U.S. government, I understand, passed some laws where you had to be a certain size credit union. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so I was wondering if you could maybe even when you go back and look at them, if you could get those credit unions that serve the co- the communities of the federation to band together so that they get that mass that they're talking about and maybe some efficiencies in in that mass. That, that, uh, um, Vernon, that, you, you're a very smart man, um, and you you, 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 you asked the, the perfect question, and you're right. I, I just got back a couple of days ago from Mississippi. And I met with uh, some of our partners, NCBA, the National Co-op Business Association in D.C., um, the, the CEO, and plus uh, others from the Mississippi Credit Union League and others, uh, talking about some of the issues around cooperative laws in Mississippi and also credit unions. How do we do t- those kind of things? You're right. The power, the beauty of the federation is is that, the power to, to band together where cooperatives and credit unions create this federation. And so, again, just bringing the BAP, that structure that already exists within the federation, to address those kind of issues. And so we're going to be looking at those kind of things to figure out how do we as a federation play a more prominent role in that, where we can stop that. How do we or do we look at becoming a CDFI, Community Development uh, community development Financial Institution, ourselves? What are the things that we yes. need to do? Again, all yep. these things are preliminary and things that we're starting to look at to see what role do we best play to make sure we keep these community development credit unions alive and thriving in their communities. I, I already got the vote. Yes, you, you, you want to you want to create that in the federation, and then have all of those come up under you, and then so that the monies are available for your your communities and for your farmers. Uh, man, it's it, it's a win 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 win. Hey, uh, definitely. So I so so my my job is to take those things back to our board. Uh, who takes it to our membership, our state associations, and see how they feel about that and what role they want to play. Because, again, we are a cooperative and community and grassroots-led organization. And so my job is to lay out those visions and those things that we're thinking about mm-hmm. as an organization. And then folks start to look at that and uh, within the organization, within the membership, and figure out what what role do we as an organization overall play in making that happen? So I appreciate the vote of confidence. I appreciate you willing to partner in it. And the next step is really to lay it out and then go back and get the approval from the membership that this is something that they want to do as an organization and then do those things. But I think that's exactly some of the things that we talked about in 1967 and beyond. And I know some things that our membership would be glad to get back to. You know, um, just a real quick aside here before we go to land retention. Um, I am taking my property management business, and the employees are looking to buy it as a employee-owned or worker cooperative. And I'm doing that. One of the reasons I'm doing that is so I can free up my time because all three of these areas, Soho, <laughs> housing, and credit union, 
I would love to be able to work with you on all three. I'd have to choose which one I would, might want to help you help you with. But okay, let's. Well, we got to go to another break already, uh, and so we're going to come back and talk about land retention uh, when we, when we get back here. And, and I want to start off by trying to figure out what is an acre of land, because most of us urban people have no idea what an acre, let alone forty acres and a mew. So we'll be we'll be right back. We're going to get the weather and the and the uh, news and traffic. And then we'll come back talking to Cornelius Blanding about what's going on in the South and how we can get some of that good food from from rural to urban. We'll be right back. News updates on the web at WOLDCnews.com. Cornelius, the war is not over, baby. The victory is not won yet. We got to fight on. Got to be soldiers out there and keep fighting. Okay. So tell me about land retention. What is, what does what does that mean in, in the federation? Right. So so let let me start. You know, I, I take every opportunity I can to kind of sprinkle in a little history of the organization whenever I can. So let me start with that, if you don't mind. No, go for it. So so again, I've said. And many times, and, and most folks know, the Federation was founded out of the Civil Rights Movement in 1967. Uh, there was another organization called the Emergency Land Fund that uh, was founded in the 70s and was doing a lot of work around land retention, saving black-owned land. Um, the work that the Federation of Southern Cooperatives was doing, the work that the Emergency Land Fund was doing, paralleled each other in so many ways because the Federation was dealing with a lot of these small farmers and landowners who had land, and these were the people who made up many of these cooperatives. The Emergency Land Fund, in its zeal to save land, was forced to make was forced to figure out how to develop programs and things on that land to help save it too. And some of those things intersected with cooperative development, cooperative and community economic development. Uh, but in 1985, those two organizations who had been working around each other and together and talking for years finally came together and started merging. After the merger. The organization was merged and became the Federation of Southern Cooperatives Land Assistance Fund. And one of the things that's important here in terms of our work is some statistics. And uh, in 1910 was the height of black land ownership. In 1910, there was something like 218,000 black farmers owning roughly around 15 million acres of land. According to the 1992 census, before the turn of the century, there was only about 18,000 black farmers owning about 2.3 million acres of land. So you had a, so before the turn of the century, in less than a century's time, you had a loss of land from 15 million acres to down to a little bit over 2 million, and a loss of about 200,000 black farmers. And that prompted a study by... One, by, the, by the president at that time, uh, a commission. And that commission said that by the year 2000, at the rate of land loss, the rate that land was being lost in the black community, by the year 2000, there probably wouldn't be any black farmers or black-owned land. And so one of the things that the Federation of Southern Cooperatives Land Assistance Fund, part of our work has been to reverse that trend, reverse that trend of black land, of black land loss because we know that it matters. 
Black land laws matters in the grand scheme of things. It matters based on what this country is doing from a um, from a standpoint of of, of, of working in the standpoint of look, looking at all, all all the needs in terms of uh, air, water, and soil conservation. The conservation efforts of this country has to be done through private land ownership because the majority of landowners are privately owned. And to, to carry out the mission and the goals of this country when it comes to when it comes to our conservation has to work through private landowners. And because you have a variety of farmers and landowners, different ethnic backgrounds and different makeups, you have to work with them all in order to achieve that goal. Can and, I, can I, I'm, let, me, let me go back a minute because I want to make sure that my listeners got it and I didn't quite get it. 1910, 218,000 black farmers, and it went down to 18,000. What year was that? According to the U.S. Census in 1992. So in 1992, U.S. Census, 18,000, and the forecast was if the trend continued by the year 2000, there would be zero if something didn't happen. And so something that did happen was the, was the Federation of Southern Cooperatives. Uh, and I would imagine that some of that loss was because people migrated north, as you talked about, but I'd also would imagine some of the loss was because whites would take the land for whatever reasons or taxes or whatever. All, all those things are part of it, uh, Vernon. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, so, and, and here's just one example. So there's something called heirs' property. Uh, and heirs' property is basically a situation when someone dies and doesn't have a will, the family is left with what they call heirs' property. Only the heirs of the, of the, of the owner, of the, of the previous owner. The children, the spouse, the... Exactly. Nieces, nephew, anybody that's in line. Children, the great-grandchildren, all those become heirs. And so you have a fragmentation of the land, if you will, where you have all these multiple owners as generations pass. And the problem that creates is that there's no clear title. There's no clear ownership. And so when you got, in this country, things are recognized by title, usually by individual individual ownership. Um, and so when you're dealing with things like USDA programs, you have to have a clear title. And so you have many of these heirs that can't get access to those programs because of these heirs' property situations. You also have, as you rightfully suggested, vulnerable situations that are created where the land is vulnerable to people who go out. And then they, just like we can track down the Great Migration and tell where folks left from Alabama going to Detroit and Mississippi going to Chicago, other folks, unscrupulous lawyers and other people can get on online and search and find that too. And they can find out when a piece of uh, what's the heirs' property in their county and uh, where, the, where there's no clear title. And they can pick off these owners who've moved away, who've moved to Chicago or wherever, and then approach them. And they may be two or three generations disconnected from the land and offer them a price to somebody who doesn't know anything about the land, and they take it, and they then become an heir. And they can do what they call a forced partition sale. Go to the partition, the judge, and say, hey, I've approached these other heirs, and we can't come to an agreement on what we want to do. And no, you can't come to an agreement because this family doesn't even know who you are, and you're coming in on, 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 their, on their personal property, on their inheritance, on their family legacy, and trying to come with things. And so this forces, the judge can force a sale because the heirs, one of them who just came in, who bought the property from an, an, a rifle heir, and force a sale, and that sale sometimes has been set up by 
their friends and other attorneys and other things where they'll get sold on the courthouse steps and to the highest bidder. And this family may not be able to bid as high as, as the folks who are out there bidding. And so much of our land in the black community has been lost that way. And the Federation set up at one time a, what we call the revolving loan fund where we would be on those courthouse steps at times and help that family buy that land back or buy it back from them and hold them until they're ready to get it back. And that's so it's why things, the work of the, the Federation Southern Cooperative Land Assistance Fund is so important. The work that was set up in terms of our revolving loan fund was so important. And those are the kind of things in terms of land retention that we're starting to get back to. Uh, again, those things didn't go away because we we didn't realize how important they were. But, again, I mentioned all the competing challenges of this organization, the resource needs and those kind of things that, that prevent us from doing many of the things that we want to do. And these things were going on prior to me becoming executive director. Ralph Page, who many of your listeners know, did a great job of keeping these things rolling. Charles Prejean did a great job of keeping these things going. Uh, but, again, circumstances, times, and limited resources forced us to, to choose different things and prioritize in different ways in order to save the whole organization over various smaller pieces. Uh, but we had to live the fight another day. And mm-hmm. so now our fight continues. We circle back around and figure out how do we prioritize the fight, how do we bring our partners back to the table, how do we continue to fight in, in, in other ways, and how do we go back to these things that are so important that was recognized back in 1967, in 1985, uh, and all the way in 2015, and, and where beyond that, how do we continue those efforts? You know, um, I don't know what an acre is. So for some of the listeners out there, I assume it would be the same thing. So I did a little research, and I found out that uh, a football field, <laughs> from sideline to sideline and from goal line to goal line, mm-hmm. is 48,000 square feet, which is approximately 1.1 acres. Exactly. So a football field a little bit bigger than than an acre. It's ten percent bigger than an acre. Um and a city block, a half of a city block is about an acre. It's, it's two hundred and nine feet wide and two hundred and nine feet long. So a half of a city block is about an acre. So if you get a whole city block, it's about two acres. Uh the US Washington DC is comprised of 43,712 acres. The White House sits on 68 acres. All of the land around the White House is 68 acres, which is mm-hmm. much bigger than I thought it would be. But you got 43,712 acres in Washington, D.C., and you said there's 2.3 million acres owned by blacks and went down from 15. Mm-hmm. And 218,000 farmers at the turn of the century, 1910, down to 18,000. Do you have any sense in... 2015, how many black farmers are out there? We're looking at those numbers now. I can get those numbers readily. Uh, and we, we do, we work a lot with uh, with all the USDA agencies. We partner with USDA, they're one of our biggest partners. And one such agency is NAS, the National Agricultural Statistics Services. And uh, we're partnering, other community-based organizations are partnering with NAS to get to pull out those numbers because it's always been a challenge to be counted. A lot of our folks didn't realize the value of being counted. And so making sure that they understand, NAS, that we're 
communicating and recommunicating based on what they're trying to get done and what they're putting out there. And so that's one of our ongoing projects. And, again, I mentioned to you that we've had so many competing interests. And, again, I don't mention that to say that this stopped us from doing anything, but because of all those partnerships and those partnerships that are necessary to do the work that we do, sometimes we don't have the resources to do some of the other things uh, because these resources are very limited at times. So uh, we look for other partners besides USDA. USDA are a valuable partner for valuable things. And, again, I mentioned NAS is one to help us get those statistics so we can give accurate numbers like you're asking for and telling you how many black farmers, how many acres there are today in 2015, and those are things that we're working on. Uh, but I also say that to know that how, how valuable those those are other partners that we call unrestricted, those unrestricted uh, dollars, those partners that come in that allow us to do the core work of the organization, cooperative economic development, land retention, advocacy, those things that we're talking about now, Vernon, how do we help save black-owned land, how do we help organize cooperatives as tools for economic and social justice, how do we advocate on behalf of those farmers, those landowners, those communities, and this organization in general, uh, how do we do all that, and we do all that in partnership. We do it in partnership with folks like you, and so we really appreciate this show. We appreciate you coming down and talk, and taking on the interest of helping push some of our agenda. Uh, and we appreciate those listeners, and especially those ones who call in and want to join our efforts and, and our membership, more important than anybody else, who stayed with this fight since 1967. Well, I met a lady there also who I've talked to on the phone now two or three times. Uh, she and nine other women or ten women are going to start a bakery cooperative. And what was so interesting, well, interesting to me, that I love it when people want to start their own business, and this is one reason I love co-ops. It's a way of creating wealth. It's providing a service to the community, in this case, a product. But some of the women are farmers, and so they're, they are growing their wheat and they're milling it. And so they're talking about taking the wheat from the farm to bake their bakery goods and then sell those, sell those off to, to customers. And it's just it's exciting to me. Uh, one is I like to eat good food, as I've already talked about, <laughs> okay? But to find people, and some of the women are from the Nation of Islam, mm -hmm. which is also an another piece of this. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed um, the people that I met there. I'll, I'll keep saying that over and over again in different ways that I support. I, I did send them a, a draft budget that I found online, a draft uh, business plan, for a bakery, and I'm trying to help them with that side, and I've su suggested to them they go to the federation to get help from the co-op side uh, of, of how they would work. And if it, and I, I assume you all have people to help them there for that. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, we have and one of the things, and I don't know if you got a chance to see the caucus on Saturday. Um, you know, the, the the most beautiful part of this whole annual meeting for me is on Saturday. You know, Saturday starts with the prayer breakfast, and you know, we kind of give thanks for everything and talk about how this organization was founded and why we, why, you know, why we all should be thankful for it, for it and it continuing. Um, Cornelius, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, and I love you talking about thanking God and, and gratitude, but we have to take our final break. We only have 15 minutes left, and we'll come back and pick up from there on Saturday and then talk a bit about advocacy because uh, we only have one more 15 minutes to go. So we'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. And I'll give you some ways that you can help by donating to the Federation.
you know, victory will be ours. And this cooperative is one way of getting victory. The cooperative business model is one way of building wealth. Uh, Cornelius, I never believe as a youngster, I don't know when the first time I heard 40 acres in a mule that we were offered and was supposed to be given 40 acres in a mule. I never believe that anybody, white, black, pink, green, would give away 40 acres in a mule. That's 40 football fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just never believed it. And so it's like, how do we help ourselves? How do we get the victory by working together? Working together comes out of West Africa. Working together comes out of Southern Africa. We talked about Ubuntu. That's working together. That's a humanism of working together where we create we create decisions that's best for the community, not for individuals, not for greed. And the National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this program to help cooperatives grow by supporting and being an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, placing special emphasis on serving the needs of communities that are economically challenged. That's NCB's mission statement. And economically challenged communities, uh, you find it all in the South, you found it in urban areas, and too often. Um, matter of fact, one guy on the program said, I think it was 85% of counties that are poor, poverty, are, are black or brown uh, communities. So that's where we live, and this co-ops is a way that we can get the victory. So you were talking about Saturday before we took break, and then we want to get to advocacy, and we don't have very much time left. Vernon, uh, uh, you need to talk, think about expanding this show to two or three hours. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and, and thanks again, Vernon. And yeah, uh, after the prayer breakfast, we went to the annual meeting, the actual annual meeting itself for the membership, and then the state caucuses, where all of our members caucus by state. And they start to talk about what they've been doing, what they want, where they want to see the organization going. And they come up and present that one by one per state. And they give it to us, and they write it down. And they, and they write it down. And it's not a perfect system, but it's democracy at work at its best. It, it's, it comes up there on sheets of paper, on, on notebook paper, on paper towels, on whatever. Whatever they have at those caucuses, they're right now, and they come up there and they present, and they hand it over to us. And my job, uh, my job as executive director of the organization is to get that and to get with the staff and to interpret that and take that back out to our states, to our individual co-ops, to our individual members, to make sure we're providing the kind of services that they need uh, to, to move forward in terms of this co-op development. And it, in that term you use, Ubuntu, I am because of we. And, and you're right, and, and that's what this is all about. And how do we, how do we take this, this model of democracy and use it? and where we work for ourselves and where we do what we can to help ourselves to build this movement and to build our communities. And that's what this federation is about. That's what it has been about. Um, and so you asked me in terms of our land, and we were talking about co-op economic development, land retention and advocacy. And I just wanted to say one other thing about land retention before I moved on. We looked at, uh, we're looking at our programs, our forestry program, our air property program, our centers. We have the only, we have one of the only, the only African American agroforestry center in the country, uh, at that training center down there. And we, but we're a regional organization, and our plans is to expand our center to become a regional center, to expand our, to expand our air property work to become a regional air property center. And those are the things that we're doing. Those are the things that we've done, but we just internalizing it, making it formal and intentional uh, to pattern after this regional organization that's all around the Deep South. So that's how we move in our land retention efforts. And in terms of advocacy, we've always realized how important it is for us to be out there advocating for better policies and programs. Uh, 
because we know it is policies that promote poverty. And so you have to have good policies. And so we're looking at those policies and those programs from the D.C. level all the way down to some of our private partners and how do we advocate for better programs and better policies. There are some specific things that we've been working on for years. Uh, the Farm Bill is one of them. Um, whether people know or don't know, the Farm Bill is the second largest bill in this country, next only to defense. And it governs a lot of things from energy to conservation to food stamps. And that involves rural and urban communities. So these rural efforts, these farming efforts, we have to connect them from rural to urban. We've been doing that with some of our urban ag projects. We have one such project in Cleveland that we're in partnership with NRCS, the National Resource Conservation Service, which is an agency within USDA. And we've been doing that for about four years as a pilot project and looking to replicate that, for the lack of a better word, in some of our southern cities and connecting them to those rural communities. And again, building off that rural to urban marketing initiative that we had years ago. So just kind of pulling these things together. Um, as part of the Farm Bill and beyond. We're also looking at things like the, like uniform cooperative laws because in the South we don't have the kind of cooperative laws that are in the Midwest and other places where you have some good cooperative structures, places like Wisconsin and others that have good co-op laws. And even D.C., we as a federation, we're chartered in D.C. under the Cooperative Associations Act of D.C., because we couldn't get chartered in the South. Well, Marin Barry was big on co-ops. Yes, and he, uh, Marin Barry started an initiative, what was it called, some of the co-op development, something uh, back in the 60s that was a big part of work in looking to use cooperatives throughout the city. You're absolutely right. Um, but uh, So we're looking at uniform co-op laws to bring better laws in the South specifically so that, our, so that as we work to organize these co-ops, we can organize them as cooperatives and not as nonprofits as cooperative businesses, uh, because it matters. Mm -hmm. um, and also looking at uniform air property laws. There's something called a Uniform Air Property Partition Act that we've been working in conjunction with other partners around around a uniform air property coalition to bring to make sure that there's good uniform air property laws on that land retention side, because air property is a creature of state laws, and we have to deal and even co-op laws, and we have to deal with them state by state. But what the value of the federation is is that we're a regional organization, and we can then start pulling those states together as regions and do this work regionally, whether it be agroforestry, regional agroforestry centers, whether it's regional heirs property centers, or looking at advocacy or laws regionally to create uniform co-op laws or uniform air property laws. We are valuing that regional aspect of this organization and building on that to make a long story short. You know, you've got a, a lot to say, and that's why this hour goes by so quickly. But let me let me let me tell you a little bit about me. I have four goals right now in life. I just about five years ago figured out what I want to be when I grow up, and that is to continually promote co-ops, develop co-ops, and I started with housing, but this bakery idea and some other things that I even heard down there. Any kind of business where we can help black people, particularly, but anybody particularly people that have poverty, everyday people, to get in and learn how to run a business together. And I wanted to start a, a, a college. And so one of the reasons I came when I came to Epps was to see, because you all own the land down there, you're already doing so much education, could we start a community college? And, and when I mentioned that, John Zipper, who worked for you, was very excited about it. And he said we wanted to, to, to look at start that. And so 
that's another thing I want to work with you guys on is starting this community college, if that's something that your board uh, would like to do. But the one I want to get to before while we have time is my fourth goal is to donate money. I mean, it takes money to do all of this, and that's why you, you have limited resources. You only have assets of $2.3 million, and that is absolutely a drop in the barrel for, for everything that you're trying to do. I would suggest I would love to see you have two hundred thirty two million dollars of assets to to sort of start off with you there's so much that you can do and you need the assets and the resources to do it and so I put my little i I, I think I donated federate well I wanted to give to the international cooperative Alliance the federation of southern co-ops u s federation of worker co-ops I've just added to the list that that's on top of my tithing um and so last year, I was uh, this year that we're in, I was able to give you guys fifteen hundred dollars, and then I gave another five hundred when I came down there, plus the hundred. So twenty one hundred. My goal this year is forty two hundred. This next year, my goal to give to the federation is forty two hundred. I don't have, I don't know where that's coming from, but that's my goal because you guys do great work, and I want everybody out there to know if you want to help some black folks pool resources together to help each other to provide excellent food sources to from rural to urban, straight from my, my family from both sides were out of Virginia, my dad and my mom's side, uh, then uh, what, what you can do is go to federation.coop, federation.coop, and right in the middle of the page, there's a brother in the cornfield. Uh, he looked like he hot and maybe a little bit mean there, Cornelius, but <laughs> right above his hat, it says, make a donation. <laughs> And, and you can make a donation by uh, by uh, calling them, by mailing in, or going. You can pay on PayPal. It make it very, very easy. And it doesn't twenty five dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand. It doesn't make any difference. Ten thousand, because what he told me about it, because I thought I was just giving a little bit of money. He said the unrestricted dollars, because most of their dollars are restricted through things like. U.S. Department of Agriculture, which is great to get those grants, mm-hmm. but it's restricted. And they need unrestricted dollars so they can do things, including paying their people. Okay, so I really encourage you to go to federation.coop and help the, this organization out um, to do the economic development, cooperative economic development. That's mainly black people. There were some Spanish people there, particularly out of Texas. Land retention. Uh, and Cornelius, I want to buy some land somewhere in the South. Uh, so if you hear of anything, let me know. Uh, and then advocacy, getting, you mentioned something we don't have time to talk about, but policies cr- uh, promote poverty, and we want to get po- po- uh, policies that promote wealth building. Okay. So exactly. what else? Well, you got well, one well, minute. Well, what, what do you want to say to people as you go out there? Well, we, well, before I, I, I must say to you, John, let me piggyback off what you said. Let me say to you, thank you. Because your donation means a lot, your partnership with us means a lot, and I want to I want to piggyback off that and tell people how important it is. Our website is www.federation.coop. You can call us at 404-765-0991. That's our administrative office in Atlanta, Georgia. We have offices throughout the South, and we can get you connected there as well. Uh, but every dollar matters. Every dollar counts because again, they are unrestricted dollars and allow us to do the mission of the organization and focus on those core areas that I mentioned. And so, Vernon, right. I you, thank you for leading the way on this, and your dollars do matter. I'll be talking to you about getting other people this on this month uh, on the program. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This month is the Federation of Southern Co-ops. Next month is the Cooperative Month. 
and we're hoping that you really enjoy the program, and we'll see you next Thursday. 1450 WOL.